There's uh, two things that I'm infamously bad at. One is names, as too many of you know. A couple weeks ago, I called somebody the wrong name in the baptistry. Worked with Thomas for about a decade and called him Waters instead of Walters one time. Uh, and then I'm infamously bad at receiving gifts. I just feels so awkward because uh, I know what a little tiny part I play in what goes on here. What, uh, what Sam said is what I tell people all the time. They say, how's it going in Ashland? I'm like, man, I, I can't believe I get to have a little part in what God's doing in Ashland. Um, staff is incredible. We talk about Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Year for me, and it has been for 27 years now that I've been in ministry. Uh, not Pastor Appreciation, Pastor Wife Appreciation. That sounded really bad. <laughs> See, I'm really awkward at, at gift time. For 27 years, I've been celebrating uh, Pastor Wife Appreciation uh, Year uh, because uh, I could not do uh, really much of anything apart from Judy uh, because I am a different person because I married her. I don't think um, I would be fit for what God has called me to do if he hadn't given me her because I think that he gave me her to help make me fit for what I do. So uh, I am honored and thankful and appreciative of Sam's kind words, but uh, mo most appreciative of you as a body and that you allow me the privilege to shepherd and lead in a way that uh, honors and respects not just a month out of a year, but uh, day after day. So I am incredibly thankful for you. So now I want to do something that maybe I'm a little better at. And that's invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking together this morning at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. And I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Stand in knowing that in the scripture and in the scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of life, its light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. 
Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank You so much that for 20 years I've been able to invite this body to stand in the reverence of the reading of Your perfect and precious Word. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that Word today and that we would receive it with gladness. That You would change us and transform us. That You would help us to know better what it means to be like You, O God. To walk in love. To walk in light. For the glory of Your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You saw the picture of us a moment ago, and it's pretty evident that our three oldest uh, are sons. My fourth child was a daughter. And I'll never forget when she was born and how much joy it brought my life to see her. And we had a whole new world with her of ponytails and freckles and the biggest smile you could ever imagine. She was such a bundle of joy and beauty. One of my favorite things in the world was when her little hand was not big enough to hold my hand, I would put out my finger and she would hold my finger and she would walk with me. And there she was. And I would just delight and, and beam. When I think about those moments and those walks right now, it fills me with a sense of joy. And one time we were walking and I was just soaking it all in with this beautiful daughter that God had given me. And all of a sudden as we were walking, I heard her. And it sounded like this. I thought, what in the world? And then I thought, I just did that a few moments ago. And then I thought, that's scary. Nobody had to train her to imitate me. It was natural. It was organic. And what hit me and why it was a little bit frightening is she was going to imitate me whether I liked it or not. She was going to imitate me in the things that she saw. And so, I tried to do that a little bit less. Because that beautiful, freckle-faced smile, that just didn't sound right. But the key is, no one had to teach her. It's just how it was. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. The word means mimic. It's the word from which we get the word mimic. Be mimickers of God. Imitate God. Be like God. Ephesians 4.24 says we are created after the likeness of God. We're created in the image of God. We're created to reflect God. The world fell into sin. We struggle with sin. But as those who are in Christ... We're being sanctified, being made more like Christ, and we want to be more faithful reflectors of God in the world. It it almost sounds not right to say, be like God. We know there's so many ways that we cannot, and yet this is the ultimate. This is the one we look to for all things. Notice how God-centered Paul is saying that the lives of the people in the churches of Ephesus need to be. He writes from prison. 
He writes to them in a, in a situation that, that is difficult in many ways. In chapter 4, verse 20, he talks about the fact that they need to learn Christ. In chapter 4, verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And here in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, mimic God the Father. Be like God. So our whole, the totality of our lives as we try to walk out the reality of what God has done in our lives, what God has done for us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the design of the Father, is to be learning Christ, not grieving the Holy Spirit, and imitating God. But there's a key to this that makes it all make sense. And that's that next clause. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We've been redeemed. We've been reclaimed. We, we've been, chapter, five verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 of Ephesians, He predestined us for adoptions as sons. We're adopted into the family of God. And what is natural for a child to do but then to look to a loving father and imitate them, mimic them, want to be like them. Well, there's many ways that I, as a loving father, wish my child did not imitate me. But God is not like me. He is perfect. We, we look to Him. We want to reflect Him. He is our Father who dearly loves us. We are His children. He is teaching us the truth as it is in Jesus. This is natural, organic. Children of a loving Father looking to Him, following Him, wanting to be like Him. Now I emphasize that because all of these things He's telling us in this section, if you read this like it's a list of rules, then you don't really get it. Rules can be abstract. A list, fulfill it. That's not what He's saying. He's calling us to the reality of what He's called us to. He's made us His children. He's teaching us how to be His faithful children. He's teaching us how to make much of our Savior. He has given us His Holy Spirit to, to, to point us to Christ, to, to lead us, to honor Him. You see, this is not about a list of rules. This is about children becoming who we are. He's already talked about a life apart from Christ. There were habits and patterns in a way that we walked out who we were, but now we are in Christ. We are the adopted children of God through faith in Him. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and now we are to become who we are. We are to learn what it means to be a child of God. We are to embrace, hear me, we are to embrace the privileges of being a child. Which is acceptance. Access. Protection. And inheritance. In Christ, they are ours. One who is not a child doesn't have acceptance from a father in the same way. And certainly doesn't have access if one of my children is in a really desperate situation tonight, they can wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It better be a desperate situation. But if it is, I am there. They have access. 
and I will protect them with every fiber of my being, and I want to leave them a life worthy of following. You see, they are invited in. They are children. They are not people who are trying to earn my love. They have my love because they're my children, and I want them to grow into that love. What I call them to is not to embody the ability to keep a list of rules, but what I call them to is to grow into the life that we have together. You see, if you don't embrace the reality that you are a child of God in Christ, then you will not grow and mature in the faith in the way you should. If you think, even in Christ, that you are trying to earn God's favor... If you think that in Christ, because you mess up, that you no longer have access and you've got to earn your way back in. If you think that, that because of who you are, what you do, God is not committed to your protection in Christ. If you think that in Christ you can blow your inheritance, then you don't get what it means to be in Christ. You don't have the attitude of a child, you have the attitude of an orphan. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, there are some of God's attributes we can imitate, and that's what He's calling us to here, and some that we can't. Fancy word is incommunicable attributes and communicable. That's a tongue twister. Those are fancy words there, but we understand them. Some diseases are communicable. You can catch them from someone. Some are not, so you can be around them and not catch them. There are certain things about God that we cannot emulate. He has all power. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere all the time. He is completely self-sufficient in His being. But there are attributes of God like love, mercy, and holiness that we are called to follow to embody, to reflect Him in ways that we can. But in this context, the Apostle Paul points to a particular way we are to be like God. Look at verse 2. And walk in love. Now notice, beloved children are now called to walk in that love. They're called to walk out that love. After all, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. How do we know the Father's love? Verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. The word up means in the place of. Substitutionary atonement here. And gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering. Fragrant meaning it's acceptable to God. And sacrifice to God. Sacrifice of Himself. He offered Himself up to God as the substitutionary sacrifice. It is acceptable to God. He did it in place of us. He gave Himself up for us. And so we know what it means to say Christ loves us. The Father's love, He says, is on display in the life and ministry of the Son. To see Him is to see the Father, we're told in Scripture. He is the exact representation of the Father, we find out. And so when we see that the love that we have been rescued by is self-sacrificial love, that He has granted us forgiveness, as He says at the end of chapter 4. 
then we understand that this, this is a supreme trait that we are to look to and we are to be imitators of God. We are to embrace the self-sacrificial loving, uh, the self-sacrificial forgiving love that God has given us. That's where it starts. If you don't believe it for yourself, then you can't walk it out. You can't point others to it. We are to believe it. We are to embrace it. Not occasionally. We are to walk in it. We walked in all kinds of different things looking for satisfaction and hope and joy. But now we're to walk in love. This is to be a pattern of our lives. That's the reason we're determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. The reason why we're to hold, take every thought captive to obey Christ, the reason we are to know the truth as it is in Jesus because it calls us to this self-sacrificial, forgiving love. We are to walk that out in our lives. We are to display that. We, we are to be those in the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 43-47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, a lot of us really want him to stop right there. Because we are really comfortable there. My people, I will love. My people who, I'm, who I care about, I will love. That makes sense to me. But not my enemy. What makes sense to me is to hate my enemy. Jesus says, yeah, you've heard that said. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So when we love our enemies because of the love of Christ that has overwhelmed us, when we walk in that kind of love, when we're able even to bless those who persecute us, He says that we are being faithful sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? The, the, the work of Christ, the offering of Himself to God cannot be duplicated. It's a once for all, but it can be reflected. Reflected in a people who are determined. To walk in love. You know why? Because they are beloved children. Because there is a Father God who set His affection on them even before the foundation of the world and has saved them in Christ, not because of what they have done, but in spite of what they have done. And therefore, they are the recipients of love that can't even be adequately explained in our language that is cosmic, that is heavenly, that even our explanation of it can only reflect it. Because they've been recipients of that kind of love, it's transformative to the degree that they can say, yes, in His name, I can even love my enemies. Being like God. Walking as beloved children. But it also means that we... Verses 3-7, through seven, walk not in the world's darkness. Now, understand this. Every yes to something is a no to something else. This is the way it is. Every yes is a no. 
It's true of the way you spend your time, the choices that you make. They all add up and show what you prioritize. And when we come to the Scripture saying yes to Christ means saying no to other things. To walk in love is to say no to walking in other ways. To walk in Christ's love is to say to no to walking in serving ourselves or any other idol we fashioned over here. Every yes is a no. And to walk in love, we also have to walk not in the world's darkness. Look at verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea. You're familiar with the word because we have the word pornography, porn. It's a word for all kinds of sexual uh, immorality, fornication, any extramarital sexual activity. It is the action that's being condemned here. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper or fitting among the saints or as fitting among holy people. Let there be no filthiness, or the word sometimes translated obscenities, nor foolish talk or fool talk, literally, nor crude joking, that is, witty comments that are crass and are crude, which are out of place, notice this, must not be named among you, are not proper or fitting, now he says, which are out of place, but, there's the contrast, instead let there be thanksgiving. Wow. All of that? What's the answer to all of that? Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yeah. Notice here that the sexual immorality is the action. The impurity leads to the action. Covetousness is the motivation for the action. We want something we don't have. We long for it, so we act on it. And then the things that trivialize it, that make this sort of pursuit of immorality seem uh, acceptable, is the talk, the, the filthiness and fool talk and crude joking. And so we trivialize it, we make it common. When it's common, it doesn't seem to be harmful or challenging. And we take what is holy and we make it common. And therefore, we've created an environment where this makes perfect sense and we see it all around today, and hear me, not just out there, but in our own lives as well. How many, how many people are vociferously denouncing the sins of uh, all kinds of sins that we see that are being championed in our culture today? Well, they sit behind a computer on porn every day. Sexual immorality he's using here as sort of an emblematic sin. Why? All of the activities here are self-centered. Why does he go from walk in love to sexual immorality? What's the connection there? To walk in love that he's calling you to is other-centered. It puts God first and it puts others first. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. What are you doing? 
you're saying the most important thing in the world is not me. The most important thing in the world is God. And therefore, I have a responsibility even to those who despise me and attack me. I have a responsibility to them. Self-sacrificial. But what we have here is self-referential. It's I serve my longings, I serve my deep needs, I serve my desires. If I want something, then I should have it. If I think I am something, I should be it. There's nothing outside of me that matters. What matters is what I want. Do premarital counseling and talk to a couple and say, you know, it's dangerous that you guys are going to fall into premarital sex and you're going to tell yourself, the reason we're doing that is because we love each other so much. And after all, we're going to get married anyway. But really, the reason that you would do that is because you love yourself so much. And you would rather have your need gratified in a moment than to do what's right and honor the other person according to God's design. But you see, it's not just with that. There's all kinds of ways we minimize the sins that we're involved in. Oh, we may, sometimes we denounce other sins that we're not involved in even more loudly because it's a cloak for ours. Ours isn't so bad. But this sexual immorality that he's denouncing here, this, this foolish talk, this crude joking, this, this trivializing, you understand this, that the culture we live in is not fascinated by sex, it's bored with it. And that's the reason it just gets so much weirder and stranger all the time. You see, the idea is not that we should never talk about sex. I've got news for you. Sex is created by God and it's wonderful and it's glorious according to God's design. If you come here, understand sex is a good and wonderful thing. In fact, it's a gift of God and an act of worship when done according to God's design. But the immorality and perversion of it is always rooted in an individual's own needs. It is radically self-centered. And that's the reason why it uses other people as tools for one's own self-gratification. Whether it's the other person on the computer screen or whether it's the other person you're taking advantage of. It's the reason why we have rampant sexual abuse today. Women and children. My needs are what? matters and after all i do all these good things this is one little thing it's not as bad as what other people do with sexual immorality self-centered all of it it's it's wound up in a knot here it is the opposite of walking as a beloved child and walking in love and the reason why the antidote here is that you should put on thanksgiving you're putting on the truth as it is in jesus Because the truth as it is in Jesus says this, if you look at your life and you are in Christ, you have a reason to thank God not only now, not only tomorrow, not only next week, not only next month, but into eternity. There is not an eternal future long enough to exhaust the opportunity that you have to declare the privilege it is to be in Christ. Therefore, if you are thankful, then you're not coveting. If you are thankful and satisfied with what God has done for you in Christ, then you don't need to use other people to fill that void. Christ has done for you what no one else could anyway. Thanksgiving, we we sort of shrink it down. It's once a year. Yeah, I ought to be more thankful. But I'm, I'm pretty thankful. I'm occasionally thankful. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying here, listen to me. 
If you are not thankful, you are jumping into a cycle of rebellion against God that's going to lead you to places you never thought you'd go. That's how important thankfulness is. I wonder if you believe that. I mean, maybe Paul's just being utterly simplistic here. It's covetousness versus thankfulness. There is no compromise between the two. They cannot coexist. One always destroys the other. If you are thankful... You are destroying the sinful longings. And if you are giving in to covetedness, you are destroying thankfulness. But it's putting you into a sin cycle that's going to lead you places you think you can turn it off when you want to, but you cannot. Look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that, or it could be translated since, Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. You long for something so much you think you have to have it, so that's what takes your time, tension, and place, so that therefore it's become an idol. To be covetous is to be an idolater. He says here, get this in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, has no inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and God. Now, he, could he state that more directly, more clearly, more plainly? Now, now, what he's talking about here is, is a rebellion that says, I'll do what I want to do no matter what God says. This is who I am, so I'm going to live it out. That's what matters. Well, God can't be added to that. When the one who rose from the dead says something, it's true. When the one who was crucified dead and buried and rose from the dead, says something, and yet you feel differently, you're wrong. Somebody tells me, you know, I, you know, I would believe Christianity, but you know, that's stuff about sexual ethics. And <clears throat> I, I, I just reject Christianity uh, because of that. I'm like, do, do you understand your logic? Your logic basically says this. If there is a God, I know that He will always agree with me. Really? I hope He doesn't always agree with me. Sometimes I'm stupid. I mean, the things that I've done, if there is a God, you should assume that He's going to disagree with you a lot and that you need to conform to Him. You were made in His likeness. He was not made in the likeness of you. You see, we are called to understand that what He says is right and true. And He says that one who leaves a life of unrepentant sin in sexual immorality, the idolatry of it all, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a fact. Then he says in verse 6 and 7, and this is a couple of verses for our time, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, are, are literally the children of unbelief. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. 
What does he say here? Listen, with sexual immorality, they're always empty words. It's not so bad. You're harsh. You're closed-minded. You should just simply accept people the way we are. Aren't you called to love? Oh, those words are all around. Let's just say this. We... We, we tend to look at ourselves, oh man, we've got it so tough. Look at all the sexual issues that we're, we're dealing with some horrible sexual issues. And, and, and the fact that the government has become sort of the pusher of the agenda of sexual immorality. It's nothing compared to the people in the context Paul is writing to. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. When, when Paul says fornication is wrong, that was news to them. It's okay to have a concubine over the side here and there. That's not wrong. It's just what people do. Religious festivals and the worship of their gods often involved activities of sexual immorality. Paul is writing to a culture farther amiss in this area than we are, but he does it without apology and without equivocation. And he says, do not fall for empty words. The culture is always going to call you to say, oh, it's, it's not so bad. If you were truly loving, you would accept me the way I am. He says, do not become partners or sharers together with them in these things. It's, it's emphatic. What an important word for our age. Hear me say this. It is not loving or kind to call sin anything other than what it is. To do so is not grace. Grace is not permissiveness. Every church out there renaming sin, saying we accept anything and, and, and that's not sin anymore uh, in the name of being gracious and opening and welcoming is not being gracious. See, the Gospel is not, God said, okay, I look the other way, I'm going to pretend like you never did the things that you did. Come on in. The Gospel is that if you and I are to be saved, the very Son of God, the second person of the triune God, had to die on a bloody cross and pay the penalty and bear the wrath of the Father to pay the penalty for your sins. That's not permissive at all. And so one who lives in open rebellion to God will face the consequences of that. And one who turns to Christ, no matter what they've done, can be forgiven of that. That's grace. That's the Gospel. But one thing the Gospel never does is call something that is sin, not sin. That's not gracious. That's not kind. That's not loving. That is cowardly self-protecting. You've got all kinds of people who know what the Bible says about things, pretending like they don't. So this individual person will call them kind and nice, and it's a game of gotcha. And i got news for you. In eternity, if they see that person that they acted like this was okay and didn't use the law to point to the gospel and tell them the truth, they will not bless them for eternity. They would curse them. Do you see this? We've got to be honest about these things. We gotta be those who understand that we walk not in the world's darkness. We do not embrace the things in our culture so people will think that we're nice. We don't water down and tamp down the light and add a little darkness so people will be more comfortable. Because what we are wooing them to is something besides Christ. People are comfortable all kinds of ways and places. But the Gospel of Jesus Christ starts out with uncomfortability. I'm a sinner who have no hope apart from Christ. He is my only hope, as we saw testified in the baptistry this very day. But, 
there is a way that we're called to live as those who do not walk in darkness. And that is we are to walk as Christ's light in darkness. What we do as we walk in the darkness is we walk as Christ's light. What matters is Him. What matters is His Gospel. The good news about Him. So look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. Now, do you need to... Now, you were in darkness. No, he didn't say that. He says, you were darkness. Apart from Christ, he says, you were darkness. And then he goes on to say, but now you are light in the Lord. Not that you are, you are in light now. You are light in the Lord. Your old self can only be described in one way, he says, darkness. In Christ, your new self is described in another way, light. This is only possible in the Lord. So then there's a present act of command. Walk as children of light. We're called to walk in love. And we know that the Bible says, we quoted the verse earlier, God is love. 1 John 4.8 1 John 1.5 God is light. Imitate God. Walk in love. And walk in light. Light shines in the darkness. Notice what it says here in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Paul loves a mixed metaphor. The fruit of light. The light that you have experienced in Him. The one who is the light of the world. Who has enlightened your lives. Who calls you to walk that out. You are light. And you walk out that light. He says that when you walk out that life, there is fruit that is produced. It is all that is good, that is desired to help others, that acts on it. It is right, that is giving others what is due. It is true, marked by sincerity and straightforwardness and reality. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The number one agenda is not what is pleasing to those around you and the applause of men. It's not what is pleasing to you. It is what is pleasing to the Lord. And then the negative aspect of the light. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Put the light on them. Call things what they are. Verse 12, for, here's a reason, it is shameful even to speak the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. He says, listen, here's what you do in a dark world. You shine the light. You are light. You walk accordance to light. You don't try to dim the light to be accepted. You shine the light. And it exposes things. What happens when light comes on? There's two reactions. You have a group of kids in a pitch black scene. You flick the light on. They run to the light. (laughs) Who wants to be in darkness? One time I was in a K for some weird reason. And they turned off all the lights. And for the first time in my life, I was in pitch black darkness. And I made a resolution that moment. I will never enter a cave again in my life. When they turn that light on, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're drawn to the light. If, if, but, but, but there are others who are doing things, don't want to be exposed in the light. Therefore, the darkness is a friend to hiding those things, and they run away from the light. 
It's always the case. But you, as one who is the light in the Lord, have to make much of the light. Not hide it so those who want to be not exposed will will be okay with you. It's not to point to you. It's to understand that the only way people will come to the light is if you shine it. And the only way people will know that they are rejecting the light is if you shine it. This isn't complicated. All we can do is walk out our lives in love and light. But there's one more little piece here. And it's really important. Because what we tend to do is to say, yeah, I mean, not walk in darkness, walk in light, tell them where they're wrong. And by the way, come over here, turn the lights on, and tell everybody else, we got nothing for you over here. One approach is to dim the lights and say, come on, it's not so weird over here. It's kind of dark, a little bit light. Maybe we can start turning the lights on slowly for you. Guess what? When you do that, you never turn the lights back up. So our liberal churches die. But the other approach is to say, we good, they bad. Got the light over here. But notice what he says at the end. The love of Christ will shine on you, the second part of verse 14. Therefore, it says, what is the it? The it's Old Testament Scripture. Which Scripture is it? A bunch. It's a mashup. Allusion to Isaiah 60, verse 1. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Isaiah 51, verse 7. Malachi 4, 2. You can see allusions to all of them here. The mashup, the Old Testament Scripture says this. He says, Awake, O sleeper! Oh, there's hope for all! And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Who? Any sleeper who wakes up, whom by his grace he brings from death into life. Christ will shine on you. There is hope for all men. You see, us walking in the light doesn't just mean we point out what darkness is, it means that we tell every single person in darkness the way to the light. And if they treat us bad for doing it, we just do it again. And again. And again. Arise from the dead. New life, new man. You can be a completely new you. This promise, Christ will shine on you. So live in the light. There's there's an already to that. We live in the light of Christ here and now according to the truth of God's Word. The Word of God is a a, a light to our path and a, a lamp for us. But there is a there's a not yet promise to that where we're in the very presence of God outside of the presence of, of sin and there won't even be need for a sun because Christ will shine upon us. What hope? What promise? Why would we ever compromise the glory and wonder of where we are headed, becoming who we are because of, of what somebody thinks in this confused world today? Never ever do that. But, but let's just think about sexual sin for a moment. There are two ways to approach sexual sin that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Two ways to approach sexual sin that do not represent mimicking the Father. Two ways 
of approaching sexual sin that grieve the Holy Spirit. One is blend in. I said it earlier. Turn the lights down. Somebody likes it really dark? Turn it down low enough so they'll come on board. But what are you offering them? Nothing. You're becoming them. The church is never commanded to become like the world. Paul's context, the things he's saying here, are way crazier than people hear them today. He doesn't hold back anything. Blend in is not an option for a faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are light. We don't want the lights to be dimmed. We want to be better reflecting Him so they are brighter. So one way is to blend in. But another way is to shut out. As I say, this is, this is about us. We are the good people. We are the righteous people. And those people who hold different views and do different things, they are, they are our enemies. We want them done away with. We don't want them around us. Keep them away from us. How does that square with being love and light? Here's what Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 9-16. through 16. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He keeps saying the same thing. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, meaning those who practice those things uh, and have a habit of them and embrace them no matter what is said, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice what he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We must not blend in and we must not shut out. We must walk in the light and we must walk in love. And we must believe that no matter what we name out there, we are not afraid to confront anything because by God's grace there can be as such were some of you in our midst. I pray and long that this this congregation will be full of people who were mired and trapped in all of these sins but had been delivered by the blood of Christ. But I've got news for you. You cannot lead them to Christ if you alienate them and refuse to talk to them. What you alienate them is according to the truth. You speak the truth. Even while you love them. Let me put it to you this way. I can say to anybody, you can't keep me from loving you. No matter what you say or do. You know why? Because I don't need you to love me. Christ loves me. See, normally our relationships are transactional. I will give you some love as long as you give me what I need. The reason you can love your enemies and bless those who persecute you is because you're saying you can't stop me from loving you. You curse me out. You, you do whatever you want to do. You, you say I'm a bad person. You say I'm harsh. You say I'm closed-minded. You can't stop me from loving you because I don't need you to love me for my identity. My identity is bound up in Christ. And one of the ways I reflect God, one of the ways I, 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 I mimic God in the world is that God came down to a sinful people who were not pursuing Him, who were rebels against Him, who were cursing Him and mocking Him and worshiping idols. 
And He saved them, not because of any good in them, but because they could not stop Him from loving them. We are the them, brothers and sisters. All of the believers down through the ages, we are the them. No matter what we did, we could not stop Him from loving us. He made a choice to love us. To send His own Son to die for guilty sinners. To give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when you and I live our lives, and we are not as needy as most people of the affirmation and and the, the transactional nature of relationships, we can love without measure. Because the love that we have in Christ has so overwhelmed us that we've gotten what we need from Him. We don't have to demand it from anybody else. See, it's not enough just to expose the darkness. We have to be those who say, oh, the light that exposes the darkness is the light that can vanquish it. And you know how I know? Because it did it in my life. And it can do it in yours, no matter your sin and background. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we will leave here and that we will walk in such a way that we in that way are like God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank You so much for Your perfect and precious Word. The privilege to open it this morning. And I pray as we respond to it that You would be honored and glorified. I pray that anybody apart from Christ would put their faith in Him this very day. I pray for anybody some need and burden would flee to the One who is the light of the world. I pray, Lord, that anybody looking for a church home or a church family would come here and pursue Christ, our light, with us. And Lord, we pray it all in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.